0: So that's easy. Good to see that. And apparently, you, you moved your stuff from Florida, so you're, you're, you're staying for a little while in Georgia. <laughs> it's all moved. <laughs> uh, so it's good to see you all back. But some of you are new to us, and, and I just want to let you know a little bit of our customs and traditions here. Um, and one of them is um, many years ago, uh, the, the deacons and myself met, and we agreed that we were going to start doing communion on the first Sunday of every month we want to do it once a month and Jim came up with the idea of making it the first Sunday of the month to kind of set the month off right and we all like that and so we do we set aside we do two things on the first Sunday of the month normally and that is we celebrate communion Lord's table New Testament Passover a lot of different names for it and then also you know, trying to follow the Bible a little bit here as well, we have a fellowship meal. Now, they, they called it an agape feast, a love feast, and they did it before communion. Uh, so we, we turn it around a little bit. We have communion first, and then we eat. Um, and so after we're done here this morning, we go right next door, and we enjoy some really good food uh, together. And we, we just revel in the grace of Christ and His sacrifice for us and then we enjoy the fellowship, and don't miss this, that's a direct result of the gospel, right? And so we do those two things normally. A couple other things that are different on this Sunday than any of the other Sundays. Normally we have a ministry for uh, our children. Now we do staff a nursery for obvious reasons on on the first Sunday of the month. But we we normally have a, a kids' ministry, and after we pray a prayer of blessing, some of the kids go out. Now, we want to encourage children. Here's my con- This is for my family. My rule of thumb is if they can read, they can sit in church and pay attention. And we need to teach them how to do that at a very young age. But there's a gap in there. So we provide that ministry. Here's the other thing. Um, we don't, I'm not going to tell you your child has to go to children's church or your child doesn't need to go to children's church. Here's why we understand from the scripture that there are jurisdictions of authority. The church is a jurisdiction of authority. The government's a jurisdiction of authority. But the first jurisdiction is the family. And and the jurisdictions don't need to overlap unless one calls on the other to do so. And we, we, we exhaust that jurisdiction's authority. For example, and I've done this before, you got a kid that's out of control and you've exhausted your authority as a parent, you call the elders of the church and we have a meeting. Um, so this is normal. In a church, something happens. We're dealing with sin in a church. Find out it's a crime. What's happened is, is actually a, broken the law. We then appeal to the authority of the government. Do you see how that overlap is? So here's what I'm going to tell you as the pastor of this church. I'm never going to come into your jurisdiction as the head of your house unless and until you invite me. And that goes for having babies in the sanctuary. Personally, I love having babies in the sanctuary. And having little children like Hope back there. If Kevin and Devin want to keep hope back there the whole time and never put in a nursery or children's church, I'm good with that. You know, if you've got a child that, you know, you're working on training on how to behave in the house of God and, and they need a little break and they're 10 years old, send them. So I just want to make that. The other thing is on this first Sunday, however, you look around, you see a bunch of kids in here. And that's because we value this time together and we want our children to observe communion. Notice I said observe. Children should not take communion unless A, they have repented of their sins and called on Christ for salvation and been baptized. Oddly enough, that's the requirements for anybody. You need to have called on Christ for your salvation, recognized your sin, and he is your only hope. And have been baptized, which is the very first step of obedience, and this becomes a privilege. Um, And so we do that. You say, well, I'm not a member of this church. If you're a member of the broader body of Christ and you have met those requirements, then join us. Unless you're a child, then ask your parent. And your parent will determine. Again, there's that jurisdiction. Your parent will determine whether you participate or not. And mom and dad don't feel bad saying no. Because they watch and they wonder. And I've had a lot of questions from my own children driving home from church on the first Sunday of the month. You know, what, what, what is that piece of bread? And what is that grape juice? What, what's that, what are you all doing when you do that? And thereby, the we, we Bible says we proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. So the act of communion is a silent sermon in itself. Okay, so we understand that. So if you are a, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ by His grace and the faith that He has supplied, you've repented of your sins and received Jesus' death in your place, you've been baptized, then we invite you to join us. If those things aren't true of you, I want to talk to you. I really do. And I want to I tell you who Jesus is and how you can know Him and own Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And then, and then we'll take the steps to seeing that you get baptized right away. Okay, I didn't mean for that long introduction. Take your Bibles this morning and find your way to two places. And, I, and the Lord convicted me this week about that. And I'm, I have a phone and my Bible's on my phone. And that's fine. But there's nothing like holding the Word of God in print in your hand. The other thing is, can I encourage you, folks? Bring, bring your copy of God's word to church with you. We just, we need to get, we need to be carrying this book with us all the time and especially to God's house. Amen? And I want you to get comfortable flipping through this book and where the where the where the where the chapters and, and books are. So we're going to start in, in um we're going to begin today in, of course, Exodus 20, and put your finger in there and then go find your way to 1 John 5, completely other end of the book. Find Exodus 20, take a right for a long ways and then go to 1 John 5 and put something there, okay? <clears throat> now, to introduce, I wanted to play this last week. We had technical issues. But to introduce the Ten Commandments, I found something, and this is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set it up and tell you the truth. This guy is not a Christian, but he is a Jew who, who loves uh, the Ten Commandments. And he has a brilliant introduction, and I want to share that with you. So as you find Exodus 20... And then as you find uh, 1 John 5, take a listen to Dennis Prager's introduction to the Ten Commandments. And we think no one's watching, but God's always watching. Um, I got out of my car the other day here at the church, and I was up underneath a little portico, and I watched three cars. I mean, didn't even slow down at this stop sign, just right through them. And I saw a fourth one coming, so I got out of the portico, and I just walked into the parking lot by my car, and I just stood there. And they were fixing to run through that stop sign. And then they saw me. And guess what they did? Not really, They rolled through it. But they didn't fly through it. But they slowed right down. You know what was really funny? They wouldn't look me in the eye. <laughs> and I'm waving to them. And, and they're like this, you know. Why? Why? Because somebody was what? Watching. What about those other three that blew through the stop sign? Somebody was what? Watching. The problem was they couldn't see him. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, um, I just, that just escaped me. Help me out. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Check this out. In all your... Faith. Do what? Faith. He's here. He's watching. And God will make you stop at stop signs. Right? And Now, now that's a paraphrase, but it's the truth. It's because we don't think that there is a God who sees us at all times. Right? And, and, and Dennis Prager is absolutely correct here. That these are the ten sublime commandments that, that are the foundation for freedom. It's what this country was built on. And if, and if we adhere to them, we will be free. There's a problem. We can't. And I want to, and I'm always going to take you back to the gospel because the law is designed to lead us to the only one who could keep it and He keeps it in our place. Amen? But they're still extremely valuable. And let's grab that first command. By the way, as we're doing that, in your bulletin, um, and I've got some guys in the back, I think Seth is back there, if you could grab some of those bulletins. If you did not get a bulletin on your way in this morning, would you please raise your hand? Because you really need this. i okay, a bunch of people. Seth, just grab up those bulletins back there and we may not have enough. I don't need this because I wrote it. <laughs> and I have the answers um, there's an outline in there that will probably help you a lot <laughs> and let's go back to that the other screen uh, that we had up there before the first there you go and uh, I by the way I do this for the children because we expect to have children in church and so I do this for the kids I find that it helps my children who are either beginning, just beginning readers or just kind of intermediate. It really helps them pay attention and follow along. So where are my children? Ben and Emma back there. This is the first answer, and I try to put the answers in yellow. So, so read it with me. The first commandment is what, church? No other gods before me, verses 1 through 3. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. <laughs> and you can kind of put in parentheses here. And because I did, you shall have no other gods before me, right? Amen. Because of what I did for you, here's the foundation, which is freedom. I freed you, and I want you to stay free. Yeah. And if you go worshiping other gods, you're going right back into bondage or slavery. Yeah. And let the church say what? Amen. I mean, sin and shackles. Sin shackles you. You become, you go run right back into slavery. By the way, I'm just saying, some of you that are good historians, what did these good people end up doing? They ran right back into slavery because they didn't keep these things, right? No other gods before me. Now, I know you look at that, and you're probably thinking, some of you are smart folks, you're thinking, okay, he said no other gods before him, and by that he means place. You can have these other gods, but just don't put them before God. Let me fix that for you. When I, when I was 14 years old, a couple of my buddies came over. We had, a, we had a driveway that fit two cars and a garage at the end that dad would, poor guy would go work all day on cars and come home and work on cars because um, his, his 10 children liked to eat. And so we had this big, big garage. And, and a double driveway, and my buddies came over to play basketball, I was 14 years old. And, um, and because I grew up in a farming community, you know we learned how to drive when we were about six years old. We could drive the tractor, and we'd drive the tra- tractor back and forth from a tobacco field to the tobacco barns, so and you put the little kids on it. So I knew how to drive. And we were gonna play basketball, but the cars were pulled up, or so the car was pulled up. And then the neighbor kid's car who lived with us, his car was on the other side. And uh, we had, Dan had purchased a matching pair of, I don't know what year, like a 74 Lincoln Continentals. Leather, one, but they were wretched colors. One was yellow and the other was pale green. I don't know what the man was thinking. But the cars rode, they were nice cars, nicest cars we ever had. Notice I said Had. Uh, and, and, and Dad had one of the cars, and I think the yellow one was home, and it was up by the barn, and I needed to move it in order to play basketball, and all my buddies are there. So I get, I get the keys, I start it up, and I think to myself, I'm going to show these guys. I'm going to show off. I put that thing in reverse, and I, I, never, I didn't realize how sh- powerful those engines were. I mean, I'm driving a farm all tractor. They don't go too fast. And I put my foot on that accelerator and pushed it right to the floor all eight cylinders the wheels just about come out from underneath themselves and it did it kind of i kind of lit them up in reverse and i thought i was the coolest thing in the world until i realized quite unfortunately i had drifted into the other lane of the driveway and i ran completely up the side of of the neighbor kid's uh car that was parked there and and i mean i i did that so fast and so thoroughly that i just about welded them together And you know in the scriptures when Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me? All of my friends, gone. I mean, they got on their bike. They didn't even look back to help me, see if I was all right, nothing, because they knew my father. They left me. And of course, I turned the car off. My mother had heard the crash. And uh, I came in and told her what happened. She said, just go up to your room. And then the words no kid wants to hear. Wait till your father gets home. I will say, I think that put me on the path to the ministry, or at least to theology, because I was up there begging Jesus to come back. Lord, this is a great time for the rapture. Dad won't have to sin by killing me, and and I'll get out of this situation. I mean, I, and it was the longest two and a half hours of my life waiting for Dad to get home. And the car, you couldn't, the cars were still welded together at the end of the driveway. Well, sure enough, I heard him pull in. And I heard the door slam. This not good. This is not good. I heard him come in that back door. And when he wasn't happy, he would, my mother's Judy, he would call her Jude, and he said, he, he, uh, Jude! Oh boy. And, I, and they're right down in the kitchen, at the bottom of the stairs, and I'm upstairs. She, he said, What did you do? And she said, was It wasn't me. He said, Then who? He said, It was your son. Now, the guy has worked a long day. He comes home, sees these two cars welded together, one of which isn't even his. Thank God he was an auto body man. <laughs> We gave him a lot of free work and practice. Um, and and he's, got, he's got nine sons. He says, Your son did it. So he, he said, Where is he? Upstairs. So he opens the door. And he said, George. She said, It wasn't George. Tim. Said, it wasn't Tim. Ron. She said, It wasn't Ron. He said, Well, which one? And I heard her say, Paul. And I knew how Jesus felt with Judas at that moment. <laughs> and I remember he said, Paul. And then he turned and he called my name. And, and you know, it's like dead man walking. You know, I, you know I'm just, I just started beating myself just to get myself numb, you know, warmed up a little bit. And I'm walking down those stairs. I get to the bottom of those stairs and he's standing there. And I was on the last step, which was up about this high. And being smaller back then so we were eye to eye he said what did you do and I just figured that at this point the best thing was honesty and I just laid I said I told him exactly what I did and that my dad has this thing and I've, I've got it from him that when he's mad first of all he turns red especially his ears but this this bone in his jaw he begins to grind his teeth and this bone in his jaw starts to move and I mean that that thing was moving you would have thought there was a hip hop song on that thing was just dancing, and he was he would try he would start to say something and stop and then try to say and stop and I, and then he said this to me, got real close to my face and he said, "Get out of my sight," and I thought, "I'm happy to comply," <laughs> and I flew up those stairs and went into my room and thanked the Lord. That if you weren't going to do a rapture, at least you did something to dad and he didn't kill me. But I remember those words, get out of my sight. And, and even at 14, I, I just think I knew what the deal was and as a father, and now I totally get it. Why did dad send me from his sight? What's that? So he wouldn't kill me, so wouldn't kill me right? Just seeing me made him want to lay hands on me and I don't mean to pray. Right? That's what this means. It doesn't mean you shall have no other gods before me in order. In other words, you shall have, literally, the the, the Hebrew says, you shall have no gods in my face. No gods in my presence. And by the way, where is God? So how many gods can you have? Zero. That's the end of that story. Okay, that's what it means. It doesn't mean order. It means presence. Presence. He said, get, what, what, what the Father is saying is, get those gods out of my face. Because God will not share His glory with anyone. And by the way, this first commandment is the mother of all the other commandments. And here's why I say that. Because you can't break any of the other nine commandments without also breaking this one. I want you to think about that. If you're breaking any of those other nine commandments, you've also broken this first one. You've put something, someone, some need before God and made a little g-god out of it. Right? I'm just, you know, stop me when I'm... Not telling the truth. Deuteronomy, write this reference down. Deuteronomy 6.14 says, You should have no other gods before me. And God knew he's getting ready to go send them into the promised land. He said, The gods of the peoples who are all around you. He knew where they were going, and he knew they would be, they would be, uh, see these other gods that the Canaanites worship. And he said, You better not put any of those gods in my face. Especially those people whose land you're about to dwell in. Um, Why is it important that God be the only God? Only one God. And He only wants us to acknowledge just Him in His life, in your life. And here's why. It's really rather simple. Because if there's one God, and only one God, think about it, then there's only one race. And that's the human race. Uh, Brother Willie and I had a great time. We went to Camp Meeting Revival all week, morning and night, didn't we have us a time, brother? Amen. We did. And, and and when I when I brought him in, I introduced him as my brother, because he is my brother in Christ. But literally, if you trace all the way back, we can we trace all the way back to Adam. We're we're relating. Amen. Now he might look a little bit different than me, but it's not that he's African American race and I'm Caucasian. That's a misnomer. Amen. That's just the color of his skin versus mine. That's the difference in the melatonin in our skin. And I always thought it was weird. When I was a kid, we called black folks color folks. What a dumb thing. They are the same color no matter what. I get cold, I turn blue. I get sick, I turn green. Right? I get embarrassed, I turn red, and they call him colored. That never made any sense to me. The only difference between that man and me is the amount of a, of a, of a, of a protein chemical in our skin. He has more of it, I have less of it. Come on with it, Right? We're of the human race. One God who created everybody, one race. The human race i did it on my on the last time they did a census and they did the race and they had all the races listen had other i hit other and you could write it in and i wrote adams and a lady came to my about four weeks later census worker pulls in my driveway and she's an african-american lady she gets out she goes Yeah, I, I i need to clarify this your 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 census under race and I know she's looking at me and said, that is the pastiest white guy I've ever seen in my life. And he apparently don't know what race he is. I said, yeah, I put Adam's race. She goes, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you and I are related. She said, we are? I said, yeah, we could trace our roots all the way back to our great, 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 great times a thousand. Grandfather, and his name was Adam, and his wife was Eve. Eve, there's only one race in the whole world, and that's Adam's race. She got to laugh and said, you're right. <laughs> but you're also white. <laughs> But you know, there's only one, one God, one race. Amen. And if there's only one race, then they all have equal value. Amen. I'm not worth more than he is. That's right. And he's not worth less than I am. Amen. And if there's one God, one race, one equal value, all people are, are equally valuable in the eyes of God. We are all equal image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's a beautiful thought here. And it's simply this. There is one moral standard for all people everywhere of all times and it never changes and that is one God it all goes back to one God that's important that we understand here's a second command I want to get through these today um, the second one this will come up here yeah is no idols no idols and that's found in verses 4 through 6 so let's go pick that up in your scriptures Exodus 20 um, oh I never got to First John did I let me let me just back up. Just leave that there. Let me give you First John, First John five two and three. Here is what the Word of God says, talking about the commandments. It says, "By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God." Now, now look up here. Do you remember? Was it last week? Uh, I talked about Jesus said, "Hey, the law comes down to two things: love God, love people. Love God, love your neighbor. Right? Say, so who's my neighbor? Everyone's not you. Love God. Get that right. You are going to love your neighbor." That's that's all John's saying here. Here's how we know that we we love each other. And that is, do we love God? If you love God, you're going to love your neighbor. That's what he's saying here in 1 John 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. And notice what's attached. And keep his what? Imagine that. You say, wait a minute, I thought we're under grace. We are. But listen to me. Listen to me, folks. Everybody look right here. Grace keeps the commandments. Grace is not to be, grace is not given to you to trample on the law of God. Grace is given to you that by trusting Jesus for your every breath, you triumph through Christ as he keeps the law for you. Grace is not to be trampled upon but to be triumphed in. You love people, you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. Amen. Then he goes on to say, let me define the love of God. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Is he repeating himself? Yeah, because he knew we were going to talk ourselves out of it before we finish that verse. Amen. And now check this out. He already knew what you're thinking. It's too hard. God's so mean. He says this, oh, and by the way, little children, his commandments are not burdensome. They're not bad. I'll never forget, I think it was Paul, when I had his bar mitzvah. My Uncle Jerry, who's with the Lord now, Dad's youngest brother, wrote him a letter. And here's what he said. He said, Paul, I live uh, on both sides of the tracks. I live for myself and I've done stupid things. And then God saved me through Jesus Christ and I've lived for him. He said, don't ever let anyone tell you that living for Christ is hard. He said, I've been on both sides of that ledger. Living for the world is hard. He said, living for Christ is a joy. That's what John's saying here. Don't be complaining, oh, this is so hard. No, it's not. God's law is not against you. It's for you. And you know you're in Christ when you want to keep it, and when you watch Jesus keeping it through you on a regular basis. Okay, and so he says no idols, no idols. Look at verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or is in the water under the earth. So God's kind of pretty much got that covered. You should not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a what church? Jealous. Jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. Uh, upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Pretty strong, isn't it? Don't make any idols. Amen. Now I know, you sit there and say, finally, there's one I got covered. Because I can't remember the last time I bowed down to a golden calf. Yeah, you want to talk about that? You don't know the last time you bowed down to a golden calf. Facebook, anybody? Golden calf, 21st century, right there. First thing you do when you get up in the morning is check Facebook instead of check in with your Creator. Golden calf. You say I don't like that. You're stepping on my. I'm stepping on my own toes. Okay. Don't say. I got this one beat just because we don't walk around serving, bowing down to these. There's plenty of idols we bow down to today. But he says there, don't worship any false god. You know what the other side of that is? Don't worship the, true, the one true god falsely. We do that a lot too, don't we? God's kind of laid out how he wants to be worshipped. And You go bring a strange fire in the presence of God, good things do not happen. I'm just saying, go read about it. God's, God's very serious here's another thing that happens in church sometimes. If you need an object to aid you in your worship, something to look at, that's an idol. You say, oh, preacher, we shouldn't make pictures of Jesus? No, I didn't say that. I, I personally don't think that that's what he's talking about here. Uh, but if you... I got a friend of mine, he said, yeah, I just can't worship, he said, without watching The Passion of the Christ. I said, "Brother, that's an idol. You, if you need a movie or a cross or, or, or some type of picture... In order for you to worship, we've crossed that line. Because God even says in the Word, He says to His people, He said, Hey, did you see anything when I was up there giving this law? Or did you just hear my voice? And we just heard your voice. Yeah, let's keep it that way. If you can't see me, then don't don't try to make me. Because everything you could come up with falls far short of the God who truly is. Yes. All right? Now that makes, works good for ancient men. I also thought it was a little funny. Not funny, haha, but funny, sad. <laughs> At the very time, just think about this. At the very time, Moses is up on top of the mountain and God is writing down these, this commandment. Don't be carving anything that, that you think is supposed to represent me. What's everybody else doing at the bottom of the hill? They're carving something to remind them of God so that they can worship God with an object in front of them. The very time God's saying, don't do it, the children of Israel are in the valley doing it. And before you point the finger at them, how different are we today? Any God that is worshiped other than the one true God will absolutely have disastrous results. For example, education can be a God that is worshiped. To educate means to inform with knowledge with the hope of wisdom being the final result. And wisdom is knowledge applied appropriately and correctly. It's just me, my opinion. But I I think it is both obscene and sinful to try to educate someone without God being in the center of it. And I've had people push back and say, Preacher, what about math? What's God got to do with what's God got to do with math? He put a whole book in the Bible named Numbers, folks. He's the god of math. What is math? Math is logic. Math unlocks who God is in His logical order and form, and how the laws that He created and, by the way, abides by, to to cause things to happen. Um, We we should teach nothing apart from God, and when we do, the results are disastrous. By the way, do you know who was the what group, what demographic was the number one supporter of Hitler? Of Stalin and of Mao? The highly educated. The highly it weren't these it wasn't these dumb people that that these guys fooled. No. It was the smart people who had been educated without the knowledge of God. And education became the God. And millions of people died. We can we can we can we can did you know that love can be a God? When we look at love as an end in itself instead of a product of the Creator and the one true God. For example, let's just say this. Let's say you're you're down at the Lake Wildwood Spillway fishing, just you. And you hear some noise and you look over and you see two things, two beings in the water and you're both drowning. And you only have time to say one. And one of them is your pet. Your pet dog is out there and it's drowning. And the other is someone you've never met before, a complete stranger. Here's my question, which one do you save? Why do you save the stranger over, by the way, this was something that was asked, it's a philosophical question that's been asked in in universities for years. Do you know that recently, for the first time in since they've been asking this question, 93% of the respondents of the new generation said, I saved my pet. You know what's happened? Love has become a God and an end in itself. You love your pet. You don't know that guy. And nor do you recognize when love is your end goal, when love is your little G God, then you serve it. Well, I love my dog and I don't know him. So therefore, my love determines value. Becomes a God. You make a God on anything. And we do it. Your children can become your God. I've often said the family makes a great idol. In fact, I say it this way. God's blessings make the best idols. And we start to serve the blessing instead of the one who gave it. And it's idolatry. We bow down to it. Man, I could, I could preach forever on that. But let me say a couple more things. Um, I thought this was a great definition. I saw that an idol is that which consumes our time and passion. You say, preacher, I got no idols. Show me your Daytimer and your checkbook. And I'll tell you who you're bowing down to. Now we spend a lot of time with our families. How much of that time is dedicated to leading your family in the presence of God? What should we come to church for? No. No, that's one should be one small, but that should be one seventh of it. There's six other days. I'll tell you what you love. Where are you investing financially? I'll tell you what you love. If that's too hard, if you got kids, especially younger ones that haven't got smart enough to lie, ask them what you think you love. Hey little fellow, what do you think daddy loves? What do you think my priorities are? What does daddy get excited about? Might urge your feelings. But it'll identify your idol. And here's the the root of idolatry is that if we're not careful, we find our identity in that which we worship. You become like what you worship. We find our identity in what we worship. And here's the problem. If we worship anyone but God, the one true and living God, then that idol's going to fall down eventually. That idol's going to break down and disappoint you I'll put it this way. Good things that become God things are bad things. Let me say that again. Good things that become God things are bad things. You see, that idol, that thing, um, the weight of expectation crushes what we turn into an idol. And here's the other bad part, and then I'm going to be done with this, and I'm going to just speak briefly on the last one. We pass our idols to, we we pass what we worship down to our kids. I didn't say that. Is it in there? Is there a prohibition and a curse attached to it and a blessing? You bet. You betcha. Some of you today are here today and you love Jesus today and it's so easy for you. And I'm going to tell you why. Somewhere back in your family line was a godly man who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, that blessing to thousands, you're one of the thousands. It's not you. You weren't smart enough to figure it out. Your great-great-grandfather loved Jesus and that blessing is continued to you. Some of you are here today and you fight addiction to chemicals or alcohol or pornography or, God forbid, people's approval. And you can't get around that. Every time you try, you fall. You can't figure it out. Some of that might be, you got some people back in your line that served idols, and you're just following along in their footsteps. But I got good news for you today. This is Old Testament. In the New Testament, we can overcome that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've had people tell me, oh, preacher, you don't understand. You've never been addicted. <laughs> that's not true. But you don't understand. You've never done crack cocaine. You've never done well, all this other stuff that's out there. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. I've had, I've had people look me me and I say, the only way I'm going to beat this is to die. I said, fantastic. Because my Bible tells me that we were crucified in Christ, that the body of sin might come to an end. You're already dead. You are a dead man. That old you is crucified. You're as dead as Jesus was three days in that grave, and there's a new you that burst out of there. Now start worshiping God and live out of your identity. You are not that drug. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Son of God. He's your identity, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Your identity comes from your idols, and I'm specifically dads today. What are you passing down to those kids? I talked to my son in the balcony. Uh-oh, several sons are up there. I'm talking to Paul Jr. What you love and worship, your son will. Amen. Don't you ever forget that. You be one of those who breaks generational curses. and says, no, I am going to love and worship the one true God. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. I don't know what grandpa did. I don't know what great grandpa did. He did what he did. But today, I'm declaring an end to that. In Jesus' name. We're going to pass it down to our kids. Real quick and lastly, look at verse 7. I'm going to find it. You shall not, read it with me, take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Oh, and then there's this really bad curse that goes with it. And it's God's way of saying, I ain't playing. Look at it For for Jehovah, literally the Lord, for Jehovah, he uses his biggest, strongest name. For the Lord will not hold him, what? Guiltless, who takes his name in vain. What? What? seems a little harsh and you've been taught like I've been taught that that means to say OMG now, now can we step back from that and just put a little common sense on for a minute so in other words what God is saying here in effect is I can forgive murder and you go out and steal somebody's wife I can forgive that but you say OMG you're going to hell that's unforgivable Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Now, should we, should we take God's name lightly? No. no. That's not what this is saying. And here's the big problem. I was looking this up this week. I got so blessed, I got saved three times just reading this word. I pulled this word take up. And, and the majority of the time, it means what you think it means. Okay? It means to treat. But not this time. This is a little teeny tiny percentage of a different Hebrew word, and it doesn't mean to treat. You ready for this? I think it's in your outline. It means to carry. Very few times is this used in the Bible, but it's used very explicitly here. Thou shalt not carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's different. Isn't it? And, I want, and actually, I just want you to ponder that this week. How would that change the understanding of what is meant here? If it means to carry. And I literally believe this. And if God's serious, I, I will not hold him guiltless. What's the only way to stand before this God is if you're what? Guiltless. He demands perfection. Perfection. And did God know these people were going to blow this? Of course. Because what follows all of this? Okay, not if you break my commands, but when you break my commands, here's the sacrifices you need to go through, which all, by the way, point to Jesus. Right? We get that. But this one's different. Where's the sacrifice? Because he said, yeah, you're, you're never going to be without guilt if you carry my name in vain that, hey if that don't scare you a little bit you're not getting it you are not getting it and it's not OMG it means to carry his name in vain Here's, I, I think it means a couple of things I think most specifically in this context it means to do that which is evil in the name of he who is righteous do we see that? in our world today? Do we see radical Islamists cutting off the heads of people in the name of God or Allah? Doing that which is evil in the name of God. It happens all around us. God, God's not playing. But can I bring that down? I know because we sit there, we always go to the example that a is the worst and b is the farthest away from our life (laughs) right like, okay yeah okay so i haven't cut anybody's head off in the name of god lately so i'm good to go well let me let me walk that back a little bit can i i'm gonna i don't care what you say i'm gonna walk it back anyway i'm gonna give you a little pet peeve of mine and if you listen closely to my language when i speak especially when tom and i were talking this week uh, one-on-one stuff, when we're just sharing life. You will, You will not hear me say, God told me. And if you do, I will give you a chapter and verse to follow that up. Be careful about attaching God's name to things that you are not 100% sure by this book that actually came from him. Or even saying, God is leading me X, Y, Z. Hey, if God is leading you, that thing will not violate the principles of this word. And I got a lot of questions for people who say, oh, God is leading me X, Y, Z. Really? Okay, if that's true, then you will follow the precepts of this word, which means you will have consulted other godly men. Not limited to, but including your pastor. Why is it this is the first time I'm hearing of this? If God is leading you, don't be putting God's name on stuff that has nothing to do with him. We say that to salve a conscience that is pricked because the Holy Spirit that is in us knows better. Don't you come to me debt up to your eyeballs, driving a new car, and saying, look what God gave me. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't you put God's name on that, because I know the Word of God says that debt is a curse. All right? And being out of debt is righteousness. God didn't put you in debt. You're crazy thinking put you in debt. Don't put God's name on that. Oh, look at this house that God gave me. Really? Free and clear? Oh, no, the bank owns it. Yeah, I and mean, they're going to own it in about two years again. Don't put God's name on stuff. Don't be carrying God's name lightly. Don't be doing that which is sinful and put God's name on it. Because he says right there, you'll never be without guilt. That ought to scare you. And as much as that ought to frighten every one of us in this room today, the flip side of this ought to cause you to give glory to Christ and I run you in closing to 2 Corinthians 5:21, my favorite scripture in all of Holy Scripture as Paul, the great pastor, the great apostle, is explaining to the Corinthian church who had a lot of problems. you ever have someone just come? with a word for you and it's all your sin man Willie and I sat in camp meeting this week and, and through God's messengers God just God just stepped all over my toes this week just revealed all kinds of stuff that I just assume not see right it can be downright discouraging can't it if you don't understand the gospel I only dealt with three this morning. It could be discouraging, but look at what 2 Corinthians 5.21. It simply says, And he who knew no sin made him to be sin for us. That the righteousness of God might be made manifest in us. What's that mean? The first he is the Father. The Him is the Son. The Father made the Son who knew no sin to become sin for us. That we, <laughs> parenthesis here, who, have, who know not righteousness, just like Jesus didn't know sin, we don't have a clue what righteousness is on our own. That the righteousness of God might sh- actually show up and show out in our life. I put it this way. Jesus carried all of our carrying God's name in vain, all of our idolatry, all of our running after lesser gods. Jesus carried them all to the cross. And you know that curse, I will not hold him guiltless who carries my name in vain? Oh, if you hear nothing else this morning, church, you hear this. He carried that to the cross. And the Father did not hold him guiltless. He held him guilty because of your carrying his name in vain. The Son was judged guilty so that you could be judged not guilty. God never changed the command or the outcome of it in in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. Instead, he transferred that to his precious son who did nothing but carry his name properly and he took all of our miscarrying of the name of God, all of our idolatry, and he literally became our sin and bore the curse that we had earned. And that's what we celebrate here this morning. Does that make sense? Hopefully that will prepare your heart to receive what God has prepared for us. We're going to take a minute and do what I think is necessary and proper according to the word. And we're going to just take a moment to thank God that Jesus carried all of our stuff. All of our breaking of the law. He carried every bit of it. Past, present, and by the way, future. And that Jesus was held guilty so that the Father could look at us and say, guiltless, he bore it all. And may we go to Him in thanksgiving. And may we allow Him to examine our hearts. And may we be grateful. Let's take a moment into quietness and pray. And as soon